Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly Games Club podcast discussing the worlds and workings of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And this month we're talking about Skyrim, uh, The Elder Scrolls V. Uh, so just a heads up, we will be going into all the story stuff. All of us have played through this game, and you know, as of this month, it is seven years old so if you haven't played it yet seven years old are you serious (laughs) yeah we'll be spoiling the heck out of this so (laughs) you've been warned all right so yeah elder scrolls seven years ago came out published by uh developed and published by bethesda game studios um it is the fifth installment in the elder scrolls series that's what that v means and uh it is my second favorite elder scrolls game behind morrowind uh, I know you've had a bit more history with this series than we have, Brian. Um, I've played Morrowind myself, Oblivion, and Skyrim now for the very first time for this book club, and I've never finished a single Elder Scrolls game. How about you, Clint? I've played all three extensively, more than I'd like to admit, but I think I only ever actually finished Morrowind. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which was and, probably the hardest one to finish, to be oh, honest. Oh, definitely. Uh, without a doubt, Morrowind was the most Baroque in terms of those the three 3D entries. Now, I, I have played all three of the 3D entries, beaten them all probably a couple times apiece. Um, the, I never played the old school ones that were still in um, you know, the early days. I guess that would be Arena and Daggerfall. But I went real deep starting with Morrowind on this series, so I've got a lot of fond memories of the world of Tamriel, which this takes place in. So what does take place during this game? What's the plot of it? Yeah, the the general gist is, uh, you know, the player's quest to defeat Alduin, the world eater dragon. uh, Scary. Yeah, basically comes back to destroy the world, bringing with him a bunch of dragons, which are sort of the primary antagonists of, of this game. As you wander the world, they sort of wheel in out of the sky and completely wreck shop uh, with any NPCs nearby. And you, being the dragonborn, have to come in and save the day. Because you and you alone uh, can can do so, just like our uh, political leaders of the day. <laughs> yep, you can yell at stuff. That's, that's your big skill. <laughs> wow, it really is just like politics. <laughs> I will say one of the interesting things about this game for me, plot-wise, is how early and often you are in man versus dragon combat. Um, you know, at the beginning, you're coming out of this little town, you're about to be executed, and there's a dragon that stops the execution. Sure, you kind of get these cinematic fights, but then probably another 20 minutes after that, you have another dragon attack, and this is one where you're actually taking down the dragon. Pretty quick time to what is usually like a final boss battle for a lot of other games. Well, yeah, these things can just drop in on you any time, too. And, and they do get harder as they go, but I did like how often you were encountering it. It made you feel like a badass, kind of. Yeah, the only complaint I would have about that is that they do make you facing off against such a titanic and impressive foe so early on and that it becomes a bit rote by the end. And, you know, we'll get into combat mechanics and such later, but as far as I can tell, fighting a dragon doesn't really change very much except how much HP they have and how much mm-hmm. damage they do to you True. over the course But to of be game. fair... All Elder Scrolls combat is so broke by the end that you're like one-shotting everything anyhow. <laughs> I mean, I, I almost always end up Very with, a, with a, a rogue that does 12 to 16 times damage from the shadows. So I can one-shot pretty much anything in the game. Oh, the stealth archer. 
Yeah, that's I can't get away from it. The Elder it's Scrolls biggest so well. meme. Everybody's a uh, you know all the different classes have the various ways and all the different races have the various ways in which they make the best stealth archer, uh, which is yeah. canonically <laughs> all you ever play these games as. Um. You know that's interesting. <laughs> I've never noticed it before, but I do always play as a stealth archer. Yeah, yeah, it's such fun. You're just like sniping, sniping from the shadows. We'll probably get into that later as well as to you know maybe why we all gravitate towards that. Um, at any rate, let's talk about um, some of the things you get into. Uh, most of what you're doing in this game, if you're following quest lines, which you know maybe you're not, but it centers around uh, the various factions present in Skyrim. Uh, the main quest being the Greybeards, sort of monk style people who can also wield the voice like you the dragonborn and the blades who are a uh, basically a leftover remnant supporting the old imperial uh, empire founded by talos uh, who basically these are sort of agents that work in the darkness and try and keep the empire from falling apart and i think the blades are the primary protagonist of the games I'm thinking back the three games I've played now, and you're always working with the Blades at one point or another to avert catastrophe. It's interesting, because the Blades do seem to be just like the the Forrest Gump fact. Well, actually, I, I, you can make a case you're the Forrest Gump of Skyrim in this game. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, the Blades do always just seem to ally themselves with... Uh, deitic like figures basically deities in training which you pretty much are in each of these elder scrolls games i gotta say though for me and this is probably the reason why i never finished it i never find their main quest to be nearly as interesting or exciting as the the side quest for the factions and stuff those storylines get me yeah. a lot more enjoyment i agree i think there's there's definitely standout factions in each game um but the the dark brotherhood or in the um Back in Morrowind, the Morag Tong, the Assassin's Guild, is always yeah. like a favorite of mine. You know, every any it, it's weird. It's like such. It's easily like the simplest quest: find and kill this mm-hmm. one dude stealthily is the crux of most of them, and it just ends up somehow being the most entertaining way to to play this game and get missions. <laughs> not to not to bring up Oblivion since we're talking about Skyrim, but the uh, I think the Dark Brotherhood in, in in that game was probably one of my favorite of any video game ever. Yeah coolest moment ever first time you kill a player get visited in the middle of the night with a note with a black hand that just says we know Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that that happens in skyrim too yeah yeah and uh yeah that is they they are the easily the most badass of the the factions i mean in in each elder scrolls game there's uh you know a fighter's guild a mage guild a thieves guild and then usually there's a couple other things out there but in elder scrolls the mage guild is represented by the College of Winterhold, the fighter skilled by the Companions, which are basically just Viking drinking buddies. And uh, the Thieves Guild is the Thieves Guild. They're just underground thieves. I did like that in this one, they weren't doing very well, and you have to like restore them to their former glory. I thought that was kind of a cool plot twist. Definitely. that There's an interesting sort of undercurrent of like things are kind of busted in Skyrim when you show up. Like, the College of Winterhold has just gone through, like, a, a regressing era where they, like, basically blew up a whole town and no one likes them. Uh, the Thieves Guild, as you said, is sort of on the outs because I think because they lost an artifact or something like that, or I don't remember. That, that. and I think that there was ultimately some people stealing and in, in, uh, kind of ruining it from the inside. It was just kind of rotting out. I don't really remember what went on with the, the Companions because, to be honest, I haven't played through that 
um, quest line more than once, and it was no one ever goes through the Fighters Guild. That's just yeah. not I good. did. <laughs> uh, the whole thing around the companions was the fact that in this game they're all werewolves. I think that was that was oh. the big thing. It was actually interesting this time around. Huh? I forgot it was pretty about cool. That. So that fueled my whole uh, playthrough when I did the uh, the the vampire. What what was it called? Uh, Dawn Guard. The, the Adam. Yeah, the Dawn Guard add on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's worth mentioning since we haven't yet that this game also had two pretty expansive DLC chapters added to it uh, in Dawn Guard, which is basically vampires versus werewolves, or vampires versus vampire hunters, excuse me, and um, Dragonborn, Dragon Blood, Dragonborn, which is the adds back in the Isle of. Soul's Time, which some folks may remember from Morrowind, and basically has you facing off against an old-school dragon priest. It's... Both of them are good. Yeah. And then you had the the Hearthfire that lets you build a house, which was, you know, a minor one, but still kind of cool, especially when you spend as much time in the world as you may when you're getting through all this. No horse armor. No horse armor. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I guess game, that was it's... one of the first DLCs, wasn't it? The horse armor. Yeah, I think it came with the game, right? It would... No, Josh is right. It was sort of the, the one of the first commercially sold downloadable oh, content God. packs, and as a result, sort of gave everyone the horrible taste for DLC that you know basically set the precedent for everyone's horrible taste for DLC to today. Yes, um, because it's only based yeah. on that one incident, and people are remembering things badly. <laughs> it's not that any company has ever done anything bad with dlc yeah you know it's interesting we're talking about this uh, we're supposed to be talking about skyrim but really it is worth sort of talking about this game in the context of all of its other you know entries as well and how much this whole series has sort of shaped you know gaming over the last couple decades really yep that's a pretty influential one um i mean when bethesda took over doing fallout from was it black isle studios i think there was a lot of worries about how oblivionified the whole thing would get, which, to be fair, there were definitely similarities between the games, but Elder Scrolls is definitely a genre of video games themselves. And as played out as it is, it is really good, and I think the whole oblivionating, you know, Fallout elevated it. The the only thing I, I can say is that these games changed so much over time too and i'm sure we'll talk about it what what it was when it when it first came out isn't anything like what it is now because the modding community is so active with all those games that's Mm -hmm. true they and bethesda i think has been really good about allowing their modding community to have a pretty robust access to what their their creation kit looks like morrowind's creation kit in particular i remember being something that was uh very robust and so robust in fact that um uh, they've basically have allowed people to create entire games, you know, just out of their modding kit, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think the re- uh, fans are remaking Morrowind, the entire Morrowind game, in the Skyrim engine right now. That's right, Skywind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is insane. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of work because it's probably like two or three guys. Plug it. Yeah, this along. is this is why we need a UBI. So then those guys wouldn't have to worry about where their cash is coming from, and they can just make Skywind. Maybe <laughs> Good political platform right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Skyrim for the ma- or Skywind for the masses. Um, at any rate, before we move on from uh, plot and sort of um, uh, you know 
factions and stuff. I want it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of non-faction quests in this game too. Um, in particular, ones that stand out to me that I want to make sure get their their fair shrift is uh, the Diadric quests, uh, in which you're basically doing a uh, a quest for a lower level deity in the Elder Scrolls universe, and they're all just really big jerks, and they all are really they're really interesting quests without fail. And I think that's kind of been the case since all of the Elder Scrolls games. The Deidre quests to me are always standouts alongside the uh, Dark Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Just quick quick question here. Are you guys for the Imperial Legion or for the Stormcloaks? Just out of curiosity. Stormcloaks forever, baby. Yeah, I rolled with cloaks. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I didn't, for some reason, I really don't like the, the, uh, the high elves and the Imperials were aligning themselves. I'm like, nope. Yeah, actually, there's a different, there's an interesting sort of three-way uh, issue going on here, too, because the uh, the Empire does not like the Thalmor at all. Uh, there's sort of a few, I mean, the Empire versus the Thalmor is sort of the overarching war that keeps going on, man versus mare, and the Thalmor are basically the current incarnation of mare, the elves, and the Empire is always is human factions. Yeah, there are some good quests in here. Uh, I remember a couple of random adventurers I went into that were getting in over their heads. Uh, I think this game did that particularly well, better so than the previous games had, the sense that you can stumble across interesting people as well as interesting places. They've always had some interesting places, but I stopped for more dialogue in this game than I have before. Yeah, I would say definitely. Uh, the dialogue, while better than previous entries, has the partial help of being hmm. almost all voice acted, which, you know, should... It helps and it hurts because in some cases it definitely helps. In others, you can very easily tell that the same seven voice actors are used for a lot of different stuff, which, you know, breaks immersion a bit. Yeah, that's okay. It's like three in Oblivion, <laughs> so they like double for yeah. <laughs> You had Pat Patrick Stewart and two other dudes. That was the entire game. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because the game really does its best to like sort of immerse you in this beautiful new world but back in 2011 when this came out you were definitely still bumping into a lot of the technological shortcomings and we still do you know every every open world game that comes out today bumps into those shortcomings in one way or another and elder scrolls games always tend to do it in the most entertaining of ways We were speaking about the dialogue a little bit. Uh, one of the things I do want to touch on a little bit is one of the things I admire about the game, and that's that it's kind of modeless gaming. It's not like you walk up to someone and there's a battle screen, or you walk up to someone and a cutscene starts playing. Uh, pretty much everything that happens happens inside the game engine, and as you're walking from one place to another could be a city turning under siege. 
It could be a battle breaking out, or like we were just talking about the dialogue. It's not like they pop up some text box in front of you with what the person is saying. Instead, it's just them talking, and if you walk away, they'll keep on talking. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it's worth mentioning in Skyrim because that is a, a slight departure. I mean, there was text boxes and soon back as Morrowind, and there was there was modal play even um, with things in oblivion with uh, like persuasion mini games and stuff like that. Um, there's the way that they do keep all of that. Um, those different modes, as you're saying, or rather modeless, uh, seamless integration across all the different skills that you have in this game is pretty interesting. You know, all the magic, all the combat, mm-hmm. all the stealth. Um, there's a lot of different skills in this game from archery to alteration, magic, to alchemy, to lock picking. Like there's just a lot of different ways you can enhance your character and i think uh it's worth mentioning that you know all of these things can go into combat in or be brought into combat in in different ways to help you succeed or non-combat as the case may be yeah even though we're all just using stealth and archery (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i poisoned my arrows with my my wow look at you (sighs) well let's talk about combat a little bit now besides the stealth archery which i feel like the combat in this game is fun but one of my biggest knocks against the game is that it grows stale sooner or later like there's not a lot in the way of tactics or strategy to that um for me it was always shoot arrows at the guy and if he's not going down fast enough poison the arrows and shoot them at him again (laughs) it wasn't like i ever had to examine the battlefield and see what the terrain was or try to flank my enemies or anything like that it was just point and shoot or point and click when i went on a axing rampage or point and click when i tried to do spells for a little bit i didn't see a lot of tactical thinking and how i approached fighting an enemy I agree. Uh, I agree completely. And oddly enough, this only gets worse as you go away from the stealth archer, um, because it does almost seem like that that is that does make for the most involved and you know planning required, tactics required uh, combat in this game. Like if you are a spellcaster, you basically have the option of cast the most powerful spells you can until they get up close, and then hope to God you don't die before hacking them apart with your enchanted sword, or the most boring option, just the pure melee build in which you just charge them and hack them apart with your gigantic axe or whatever. But yeah, I mean, the stealth archer from that perspective is the most involved and, you know, tactically demanding build in the game. I agree. Maybe that's why a lot of people, I mean, it is overpowered by the end, but at the beginning, it's tough. It is, but you're right. It adds a whole lot to it. You're like more careful when you go into combat you're using all the systems. It's yeah. an easy way to say, like, I want to see all the systems in this game. What build can I do that will allow me to experience them? I want to experience stealth and then, you know, shoot something long range and then, you know, maybe fool around with melee if they get too close. Yeah. I know, a stealth <laughs> archer. <Yeah. laughs> I even tried, I, I tried really hard uh, on this last playthrough. I've, I've, eh, I've probably played through 20 different characters at some point on computer and Switch modded non-modded all, all combinations there but i almost i almost always end up back at that same build by accident i even <laughs> tried to go full nord this time like i was the story of my guy was he was the guy on the front of the box like two giant axes with 
the dragon helmet on, and by the end, I'm like, no, he's a hunter. That's why he's shooting stuff with his bow. Oh, now I'm still <laughs> still shooting things from the shadows again. Never mind. <laughs> he's a very sneaky hunter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's the most. <laughs> Of course. He's like the most jacked Nord out there, and he's just hiding in shadows. <laughs> I mean, I uh, this time around when we were playing through, I did an, an actual battle mage where I would, you know, try and down people with either summoned creatures or spells, and if they got up close, I'd revert to a sword. And it was pretty fun. It was a relatively engaging way to play. I maintain that spellcasters are probably the hardest build in this game to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say so. At any rate, though, I mean, we're talking a lot about the skills you get and how to use them, but it's worth mentioning you really only you level up skills in this game completely by using them as is sort of the Bethesda slash Elder Scrolls way of doing things. You know, you use it, it gets better. And somewhere in there you get a level up and then you increase either HP, stamina, or magicka. That's sort of your trinary choice. Uh, but this game added an interesting thing to each of those skills we were talking about, which is perks. You know, allowing you to, if you get them high enough, choose a perk within them, like, you know, Clint was mentioning the sneak attacks causing 12 times damage up from the normal 3 to 6 or something like that, mm-hmm. depending on your weapon. So the game did allow for cool specialization like that, and it, it did reward you a little bit more than, say, Morrowind, where you finally got to see that number get to 100, and it basically just meant you didn't <laughs> miss all the time. I swing my spear at you. Why can't I hit you? Yeah, this it is worth mentioning that um, after Morrowind, they did away with the uh, invisible dice roll mode of melee combat, which I think many people were mm-hmm. very pleased about. It's pretty unsatisfying to see an arrow like plow through a guy's skull and it's a, mm-hmm. oh, you missed. Yeah, I like their level up. I like the perk system with the skills. It felt like I was doing something instead of just increasing my chances to hit or my damage by 2.2%. I don't get excited about 2.2%. Yeah, no, I don't get out of bed for less than 3%. (laughs) So, the interesting thing, I mean, as you're, you're going through the world, there's... A lot of different, uh, you know, sort of dungeons and things that you can and find, and most of the quests in this game are relatively, you know, fetch questy in terms of like you're following the arrow to get to where you need, whether it be to talk to a person or retrieve a thing or kill a thing. But uh, it does a pretty interesting thing with its dungeons where they do seem to sort of loop back on themselves in a very, you know, by the end almost predictable way. I always appreciated that, so you don't end up with a backtrack all the way through a dungeon, which is nice there. Yep, you got three sections, and then you pop out right above the top. But it was never like there... It's not like you get to the end, and then you get back, but I felt like there was never much in the way of forking paths alongside the dungeon. Uh, You always knew where to go and what to do next. And as a player, I can appreciate that, but it also seems a little artificial, and for me, broke the immersion aspect of it a little bit. Yeah, well, this game is kind of all about trying to, you know, diegetically just diegetically justify all of the video game weirdness that's going into it, hmm. um, which uh, I think in some ways helps, but in other ways just makes me think, man, Tamriel's a weird place. Well, speaking of that, uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, kind of, there's this Elder Scrolls lore thing called Chim. 
And this is going like really deep into Elder Scrolls lore. This is only things I read about on the internet because I never play enough of the games to actually read all these books myself. No one plays enough to get this stuff. <laughs> uh, but the idea with Chim is that it's this kind of divinity that basically allows you to do video game things, save and load games. And whenever you die, you're just like, well, I'm going to not die. I'm going to go back to my previous save point and do that. Uh, there's other games that have incorporated the kind of mechanics of video games, the how things are done into their narrative. Undertale kind of springs to mind right away. But, but Bioshock... They ex- yeah, yeah that, I thought that was probably my most notable. Would you kindly mm-hmm. turn, basically, yeah. narratively justifying the player's lack of agency? And, and and the way when you die, it's just you regenerating at, at the at the local like spawning thing, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, this goes a little deeper than that. The idea of Chim, as I understand it, is basically like the video game. The game is you know specifically giving the characters in the game, certain characters, Vivek being the first, I believe, um, the idea that they can transcend the system that they're in, which is to say the game, and basically become at the same level as the player, which is sort of like an, an admin type user mm-hmm. of, of the world. Yeah, so you're able to, you know, you can't die, you can go back and redo things or start things over again, you kind of break the system, as it were. That's that's why you're always, in one way or another, some sort of divine being in Elder Scrolls you got games, the chin. <laughs> because you have to have, yeah, you have to have that narratively justified superpower of, you know, controlling timelines and stuff. You know, in in the Elder Scrolls or in uh, Morrowind, you're the Nerevarine, a, um, a Dadric incarnation. In this one, you're the Dragonborn, basically an avatar of Akatosh, the Dragon God. In Oblivion, you're. I don't actually know what you are in Oblivion. You're just some champion dude. You may not actually be a god. In that <laughs> so maybe I'm talking about my well, ass. Th- <laughs> but regardless, you're always a prisoner. <laughs> That's true. You do always start off as a prisoner, which is a, a, always a fun turn. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a trope. Um, yeah, and speaking of tropes, you know, Bethesda open world games and RPGs are sort of. You know, they're famous for things. They are the games that launch a thousand memes. Have you ever heard the phrase, I used to be an adventurer like you, Mm -hmm. then I took an arrow to the knee? You ever heard of horses that can climb up mountainsides? We already mentioned horse armor. I mean, these games just, like, live in the gamer landscape like few others do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're uh, very influential games. A lot of people played them. A lot of people have liked them. So it's no surprise when you kind of meet the unintentional humor or you see the odd thing happening that it becomes a thing afterwards yeah it's it's interesting like um <clears throat> the fact that these games are so open leads you to be pretty free as we've already talked about at length to just completely mm-hmm. ignore the main quest um do you guys feel like this is good or immersion breaking or both <laughs> uh i think I mean, as, as annoying as it is that the main quest isn't as good as the rest of the stuff, if it was as good, you would just rush to finish that, and you wouldn't see the other stuff. But because it's not the most interesting thing going on, it leaves you free to go check out the world and, and live in it, which is what I think is the best thing about these games. It's certainly not the story, and yet, yeah, the, the weirdness happens all over the place. The dialogue is often just so stupid, <laughs> and the the bugs are horrible but somehow it's all the 
openness in between all that where we get to make our own stories about our characters that makes this interesting and special it's true like you know the the freedom to do uh to do everything means you can do anything and your uh <clears throat> yeah as i was saying earlier your guy is your your avatar your character the dragonborn is basically like the forest gump of skyrim like he is the uh march magus of the college of winterhold he is the leader of the dark brotherhood he is also just happens to be uh you know the leader in the stormcloak revolution like you can do all of these things and they would obviously bump into each other and you know if there was one person that was all of those things in the world like there's no way that that could Mm -hmm. could hold you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i think um definitely one of the strong points of the game is that open world that invites you to go out and explore uh but i think for me one of the issues with the game um i wouldn't say it breaks immersion because you definitely suspend some disbelief when you're playing a video game like you said you can be the powerful leader of this faction and the powerful leader of this faction over here and of course you are um the best oh, yeah. thief in the best land too stealth don't forget archer. i'm shooting those <laughs> goblins all day long but um the world right. also seemed to wait for you for a lot of things and i can see why they did this from a game design perspective uh, just to make sure that when they have a cool set piece or quest or something like that, uh, they wait for the player to come and experience it at their own pace instead of, you know, being off harvesting snowberries on the Alps because you got to some alchemy experiments or something like that. So they don't want anything major to happen without you. But then, it for me, it didn't feel as much of a world as it could have been because everything was static until you came in and fucked shit up. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. What are you talking uh, about? We're the, saving it, right? <laughs> sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, it's very true. Like, the game has a pretty clear division between what a player does or wants to do and what the game environments or characters know how to handle. And, you know, they don't know how to handle shit until you roll up and push them into action um and that's fine you know you want to it's very clear the creators of this game wanted you to see everything that skyrim had to offer and so they wouldn't really let things you know despite the the crowing about radiant ai and every npc has their own schedule like all their schedules are super boring until <laughs> yeah, you I mean, get in there and mess who things cares up. <laughs> what the milkmaid schedule is for where she goes whatever I, I i get the idea it's the idea to give the player agency and have them feel like they're having an impact on the world but it also it, in the end it made me feel like because i was the only thing that mattered nothing really mattered so if not to get off topic here but one of the games that does this the best the, the problem that you're having with uh skyrim here uh is the new red dead mm-hmm. redemption game hmm it i've heard this everyone does have their own schedule things will happen whether you're there or not i just for an example i went and i saved the guy he, his horse fell on him i took him to the doctor and the doctor said okay you can go now and i could have left but i stayed and about 20 minutes later the guy comes back in and amputates the guy's arm and they have a whole conversation about like this could have been a lot worse well at least this guy was here to save you and he's like no seriously you should probably go now like there's a whole a whole thing that would have happened would have happened whether i was there or not i got to see it because i stayed 
and then there'll be like conversations that happen in camp that would have happened whether, whether you were there or not that ties back in and it just so happens if you're there you see it if you're not you don't it, it's you get the extreme feeling that it's all happening and you're just part of it it's brave of a game to do that because they risk the uh risk the idea the chance of a player not seeing something that was very clearly labored over and could very clearly be important. Also, they run the risk of the, you know, the whole story being disjointed if a key piece is missed. So it's pretty impressive when a game can, you know, do that type of stuff. And this game was already, uh, you know, a feat for the time it was in, but in terms of complex and interweaving narratives, it definitely still falls short. You'll see how how they do with Elder Scrolls six in another (laughs) five years. (laughs) I'm going to guess it's probably, it. I don't know. I, I don't even like to hazard a guess at this point. We'll see. <laughs> well, about how long it's going to be? They, they just uh, released Fallout 76 this week to terrible reviews and everyone being mad. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think they definitely learned something from that. But I, I don't, I, I have no idea when Elder Scrolls 6 is coming. All we've seen so far is, you know, a landscape and a, <laughs> a, logo. <laughs> uh, a logo. But, you know, we'll get there. And people yeah. freaked out. If that's all it takes to throw a good press conference, I can make as many logos as it. you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It's definitely one of those games that, uh, you know, it has its fan base. And, you know, no matter what they announce or whatever the next one does, there's going to be a, a bunch of people that love it and a bunch of people that backlash against it. And, you know, it's such is the way of things. Such is the way of the internet. Let's uh, let's move into talking about. Uh, I guess I just had one more sort of major thing or, and theme of this game that I want to talk about. That's kind of been weaving its way into all of our discussion, and that is uh, lore. Uh, the idea that this game has 337 books in it that are authored in in the parlance of the Elder Scrolls universe. <clears throat> it's just crazy to me that you know most of them are probably bad, but someone went through the idea of flushing out this world to the extent that they wrote 337 books. Well, is that 337 new books or just the books from the last games? So there are a lot of them that are carried over. That seems easier. But still, they basically wrote the Silmarillion for for the Elder Scrolls. They did, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, and uh, see, like clearly, there's uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name that actually was sort of the lore god for this series but there's a lot that went into that and you know i it's it's continued to impress me over the years all right well we were going to talk a little bit about the mods too i've only played vanilla skyrim uh what have you guys added on to it what kind of experiences did you get out of using the mods oh man i I mean there's thousands and thousands uh and and i now that you can like work it right in with the uh, steam workshop and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel like it elevated to a whole new level. You mean it's easier when you don't have to do three hours at the command line in order to get your mods to work right with your game. Yeah. It just works automatically now. And, and to be entirely honest, this is one of those games where I, I actually tried to go back and play vanilla this time and I could not because 
this game is janky. It's super janky. We were talking about the dialogue being janky. The UI is horrible on this game. Somebody went to yep. all the trouble of building something called Sky UI that honestly should Much have been something that, that was yeah. part of the game to begin with, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So it changes the whole UI. And then uh, you were talking about how uh, all, some of the stuff seems pre-canned. There's people that went out and changed the weather systems for the entire world and how they have whole new sound libraries for the dungeons you're in, the cities you're in. These people have entirely rebuilt all the cities to make them seem less boxy and boring and more like a living city. There are people that built new AI schedules for the things that seem like those are boring. Like They have everything. Problem is, you start loading up too many of them, you start breaking the game. But finding finding that uh, fine line, I think I had like uh, 20 or 30 mods on it last time I played it. And once you, once you have it, it's hard to go back. <laughs> Just a, a few favorites of mine. Um, obviously, Sky UI was a huge one, just quality of life improvement. Um, I, there's a, infinite mods that'll add like a, a place or a house or a base or something you know, for the player. But I really like uh, one called, I think it's called Skyrim Unbound, where it gives you the opportunity to skip that intro uh, cutscene where you're a prisoner about to be executed and basically just choose class or uh, race class background and it'll just start you off at a various part of the map as like a random person in Skyrim rather than the guy coming in on the prisoner cart yeah they have another one like that called alternate life or something like that where you take over one of the NPCs in the world <laughs> I kind of like that Yeah. Well, does anybody have any closing thoughts on Skyrim before we get to our three word reviews I guess I'll kick us off um, you know it's it's always I always compare this game to both its contemporaries and its forebears whenever I, I play through it again, comparing it with Morrowind in, in the ways that it sort of had some of its sharp edges um, sanded off. But in some ways, there's a lot of good quality of life improvements there to comparing it with a contemporary of something like Witcher 3, where you have a generic hero versus a very authored one and which one's better and which one's you know more compelling to me. But at the end of the day, like, I remember when this game came off. I took I took a work a day of work off to just stay home and play it because I was uh, super excited because I knew what I was getting myself into. You know, I'd played Morrowind, I'd played Oblivion. I'm going to look forward to, or I look forward to playing this game, and I'm going to look forward to playing Elder Scrolls Six when it eventually comes out too. Thumbs up for me. All right, my three word review here was open world waiting. The open world is probably the biggest character in the whole Elder Scrolls series. Uh, they did it. They're one of the first people to do it. They are one of the best people to do it. Uh, but also, uh, to- by the end of the game, I was just noticing very obviously how nothing happened unless I was there. They had this beautiful world where somebody took the time to lay out the forks and the silverware in just such a configuration. Some poor unpaid intern, maybe. I don't know. But for all of that work, it did not feel like a living world for me. For me, it was just do your thing. Elder Scrolls has nothing to do with the game for me. That's why I put 300 hours into it, and I still haven't beaten the game because I honestly don't care what happens at the end. I just cared about living in the space and going about my business and, and doing what I do best, shooting things from shadows and then picking locks and feeling like a badass doing it. And uh, I, I just, like I talked about before, I just loved making up my own stories for what my character was all about and living through that in the world. And why they yeah. inevitably become stealth archers, too. I was going to say, that brings me to my, the last three-word review, best stealth archers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Enough said. Well, uh, at this point, let's uh, wrap it up with next month's game. I believe we're going to be doing Hitman 2, um, so everyone can live out their modern stealth assassin fantasies. It's good stuff. Yes, sir. Well, for Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Keep on gaming.